The LinkedIn phenomenon makes us believe that the relationships we create are impactful, but they're not. So the way around that is to focus on one or two or three relationships and build them out with strength that those relationships will last, they will survive, they will withstand challenges. In a business sense, again, if you pick up a client with a flimsy relationship, that client, you know from your business, we've discussed this, that client might leave you for the next LinkedIn guy that comes along. Unless you're able to put some teeth in the relationship. On today's episode of Kosher Money, we're thrilled to welcome back Mitchell Eisenberger. Previously, we had the pleasure of discussing with him the ins and the outs of asking for a raise and navigating those challenges. But today, we're diving into a different but equally important topic, networking in a world, in a world where connections are key to success. Networking, doing it right, can make the difference in landing a job, securing a promotion, or advancing your career. But networking is more than just exchanging business cards, making small talk at those events, or sending those very, very awful LinkedIn messages. It's about building relationships, nurturing connections, and leveraging your network to achieve your goals. So without further ado, let's master the art of networking with the great Mitchell Eisenberger. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. A returning champion has entered the <laughs> ring. Welcome back, Aaron Mitchell Eisenberger. It's good to have you. Pleasure to be here. What is networking, right? We hear a lot about that and, oh, come to a lunch sponsored by so-and-so and network. And I'm extroverted and I still don't want to, you know, it's not about the $15 surcharge. They're serving Chinese. It's probably a good event. I'm extroverted and it still feels weird. It doesn't feel natural. Is that what networking is? What do you think of networking? This is my hot take, right? Okay. That's what networking means to way too many people. That is never what networking meant to me. To the extent that I've had any success in my career, it's been based on what I call networking. And the networking you're describing is a $1 version of networking. With inflation, it might be a $5 networking, but there's not much you could buy with a dollar. I'm not here to say that that is useless. I'm here to say it's cheap. It's quick, it's easy, and it's not nearly as effective as doing it properly. So my idea of networking is really part and parcel with my idea of what life is about. I spoke in the last podcast on my closing thought about relationships, be adventurous, another day, another day to wake up and take an opportunity to take a risk financially, meet a guy, do a deal, look at an investment, go outside your comfort zone financially, right? Networking to me is the, the way you walk through life and you meet people and what you can do for those people and what those people can do for you, also known as the science of relationships. Networking is building relationships. I do not consider eating Chinese food at age 36 in a random school in Hewlett to be networking. It could potentially be the start of a relationship, but way too many people these days are thinking that's a scratch-off lotto ticket. If I spend the $36 cover fee and I eat the Chinese food and I speak to this guy who's a potential target for me, then I've networked. And the more I do it, the more I'm networking. I couldn't, I, I couldn't 
disagree with something more than that concept. You're violating nearly every rule that I think about networking. Scarcity is, is a virtue. If you show up to one networking event a year and you have impactful conversations, you've done far more than a guy that one week he's at the healthcare event in Florida, the next week he's at the Kentucky healthcare show, the next week he's at the Ohio show, and so on and so forth until he's at all 50 states and he's been, there's only 52 weeks in a year, so he's been at every single event that is possible to humanity for him to attend. And guess what? 95% of the people he's seen at every event are the same people because there are people like him that are doing that. And you know what? If you went last year and those people remember you from last year, now I know that to a certain extent, I'm throwing shade at an entire segment of the population. It wouldn't be received well. Industries are crumbling. I'm not telling anybody not to do that. It's one man's opinion. If I was advising somebody and from the last podcast, but before the podcast, I'm constantly having these conversations with people. There's a better way, in my opinion. It's harder. It's a slower game. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are into instant gratification these days. I want it now. I want to do something and I want a reward. That's not life. That's not reality. Reality is if you take the time and you work on yourself as a person and you create a better character level, and then you apply that to your networking game, mm -hmm. the possibilities are endless. Your network will grow from the time you're born up until present day, and it will never stop growing. And those benefits just multiply on themselves. Back in the day when they didn't have technology, the best way to meet new people was in real life, right? I can see why maybe once upon a time, networking at an event was not only effective, it was the only way to meet new people, it had to be at an event. Nowadays with technology, it opens the door to so much. I always talk about the book, The Third Door, and how people think there's one way to get into an event. You know, you go through the front door and then, oh, maybe if you know somebody, you can go in through the side door. But he said, there's always a back door. There's always somewhere else you can get in. You just have to hunt it down. That back door is much wider now because you can jump on Twitter. You can go to LinkedIn. You can find a, some sort of digital trail that will lead you to someone that knows the person you're trying to connect with. So I think it's a little bit of an older mentality. I don't think we see too many people in their 20s and 30s running to events the way they used to. Now, conferences could be successful, but there was something else that you said that I want to touch on, the same people, right? When you think of networking, is are you intentionally chasing after people that are different than you? Is that important in the space? Or no, you should be going after people that are very similar, playing the same playground as you, et cetera. So when I talk about myself from a personal standpoint, you're born and you know you go to school. So you have classmates, right? Then you go to camp maybe in the summer. My, it's sort of answering your question, my opinion about camp changed when I was young to, I was in a camp with mostly people that I was with during the rest of the year in school. Mm -hmm. And I had this idea, cause I was hardwired this way to want to meet a lot of new people. So I went to a different camp, which had totally new people from totally different places. Because I wanted to grow, at that time it wasn't networking. It was an innate desire to meet different people from different cultures and to really understand how other people live. It, it broadened my thinking. It helped me with those things. You know, then you, you go to high school. And again, I switched from my elementary school to a different high school. I was picking up 
new people all along the way. I look back on it now and I realize that's what was happening. Started out in a school. Now, too much instability is also no good, but there was stability here. I stayed in the same elementary school all throughout, but I moved to a different high school. I spent some years in one camp, but I moved to a different camp. Then post high school again, then college, then law school. These are all opportunities to meet people in a meaningful way. Bond over shared experiences. You're in the same situation. A lot of this instant gratification networking, I mentioned scarcity. I would rather work for an entire year on one relationship than meet 100 new people next year. <laughs> because that one person will take the shirt off his back for me because of the strength of our relationship. The hundred new people that I commented on their LinkedIn status, those are very flimsy relationships in a business sense. If I get business from somebody I met on LinkedIn, but I never have a shared mutual experience, what's most important about the shared mutual experience is that when you're in a bind, I'm there for you any way I can be. When I'm in a bind, vice, you know, et cetera. So therefore, the LinkedIn phenomenon makes us believe that the relationships we create are impactful, but they're not. So the way around that is to focus on one or two or three relationships and build them out with strength that those relationships will last. They will survive. They will withstand challenges. In a business sense, again, if you pick up a client with a flimsy relationship, that client, you know from your business, we've discussed this, that client might leave you for the next LinkedIn guy that comes along. Unless you're able to put some teeth in the relationship, whatever business line you're in, whatever you're trying to acquire, once you acquire a client, you have an opportunity to show that client who you are and what you could do for them in a business sense, on a personal level, you know, and whatever you can do to strengthen your relationship with that client, that's your job. And then hopefully that opportunity, you know, holds up. But this networking that has emerged today, I think is built on a falsehood. Um, and I hate that it's like an old man yelling at the clouds. Kids these days, you know, like don't understand. Like there's people in my generation that are using, you know, LinkedIn this way and fall prey to the LinkedIn influencer who charges you $1,000 for his course on how to use LinkedIn mm -hmm. when his entire business is making $1,000 on his course of how to use LinkedIn. It's like almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. How is that guy making a living? He's making a living by preying on people. But what skill does he have that he's teaching you? The only skill he knows is how to get people to pay him for his thoughts on LinkedIn. So I'm saying a lot of different ideas, but it's unpacking the same theme, which is I think that that version of networking that we're seeing emerge from social media is a little bit fool's gold. And I think a lot of people that are watching this are going to relate to what I'm saying. You can have 30,000 followers, but it's not, you can't really, like you're saying, lean into that network. You can't tap into them. There's no one there that you could private message and say, hey, I need an hour of your time. Not going to pay you, just need to lean on you for advice. You can have 30,000 followers and you might not have anyone to reach out to where someone can have five impactful relationships that goes both ways and you can lean on someone and, they, and it can be life-changing. So the question there is when you say deepen and strengthen a relationship, what does that mean? Do I buy you a gift every three months? Do I call you every other week and ask how your family is? How do I strengthen or deepen a relationship with someone that I think 
is also receptive to, to fostering that relationship. So one of the most impactful stories that emerged from the last podcast was, I, I'm not going to say any personal details, but I had somebody reach out to me that's involved in a nonprofit organization, we'll call it. And the person's an introvert. Mm -hmm. So they've been tasked with setting roots in a new community and meeting people, which is, you can extrapolate this concept to business to personal life, but we're talking about networking in a business sense. He was like, I don't know where to begin here. Like, I don't know how to lay roots in this community and meet people and convince them of the cause that we're building here and get them to give money, which is an intrinsic awkwardness of networking. And it shouldn't be if you do it right. So I was preaching the long game before, and this is what this means. I had a two hour conversation with him. I think I remember where I was. I was in the car. I told him, call me. We spoke. When he entered this community, he immediately entered a very small circle of people, people that were affiliated with this organization. And you got to break it down level by level, right? You know, from the last episode, I like spreadsheets, right? So I said to him, put all the names of the people that you're just immediately exposed to on a spreadsheet. So he goes, yeah, it's like eight people. He does it. I'm listening. He's typing. He says, how many of these people have you spent one-on-one -on -one time with? So he says, probably two. I'm like, okay, good. So put check marks next to them and, and leave empty boxes next to the other six. Make time over the next two months to have coffee with each one of those six people. And don't talk about anything other than getting to know one another, right? Where are you from? Do you have a family? Uh, where's your wife from? You know, what, where do your kids go to school? What are the major themes here? Then slowly graduate into what do you do for a living? You know, do you like doing that? What's your educational background? Where did you go to school? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This might be basic to some people and to so many others. It's not. It's like foreign. They just simply don't have, it's almost like watching a YouTube video on the basics of networking, of which I'm sure there are millions of videos. I'm, I don't even think I'm exaggerating by saying that. But anyway, I gave him homework. He came back to me. A month later, and he said, I've met with all of them now. I said, okay, good. Did you feel any chemistry? Did you feel a bond? Did you hit on anything with any of them that you feel warrants another meeting? And he said, oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about it, you know, like that way. And he said, let me think about it. He says, yeah, I think there were two of them, let's say out of the eight, that I really felt like I hit it off with them. Everybody knows what that means when you hit it off with somebody. You just... You feel comfortable with them. You like them. Whatever it is, the science of how people are attracted to one another, you know, again, that's endless. But there is a concept of meeting somebody and feeling a kinship, right? So I said, great. Schedule follow-ups with those two people. Say, listen, you know, remember we, we went out a few weeks ago. I want to go. Now, at that follow-up is probably when you're going to start to run out of basic things to talk about. And you're going to start to talk about your mission, there's no shame in that, right? Like, let's say you're selling a service or a business. Everyone knows that, but nobody wants to feel cheap. Nobody wants to feel like you approach them in your networking example. The Chinese food, you approach them with a plate of food and said, I sell marketing services. Everybody's been approached like that a million times before, and it doesn't feel good. They don't like it. You probably are best off at an event like that not talking business. Just doing that, like I advised this guy, that first round conversation. Where are you from? You know, how did you get to this place? How do you do what you do? And just no airs about you, 
no agenda, no business being discussed, laying the basic human framework. What happens is with WhatsApp, right? Once you get a person's phone number, it's interesting, like we discussed the social media, you're now seeing their pictures if they post them or their statuses, right? You could start to be in a relationship with a person without asking them for business. You comment on his picture, right? Like that's a social media type of thing. Also, I think this is a part where I would introduce my concept of if you see something, say something. It works much better with deeper relationships, but I have a network in my head of hundreds of people at this point. I'm however old I am, and I've gone through life building these connections. I'm the first guy to send you an article if it applies to you. In business, I'm always thinking about people. If I'm in healthcare, but I'm in healthcare in New York, and I see an article about healthcare in New Mexico, and I know one guy that is a healthcare operator in New Mexico, I'll send him the article. It's nothing to me. I just happen to read a lot of articles. It might be something to him. On every level, a person can do something like this. You can, I can, your father can. It's just the concept of being, okay, a little extroverted, a little out of your comfort zone to approach somebody, but social media makes it a little bit anonymous. It's just a, a text. If he reads it, great. If he responds to it, great. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But don't spam a person. There are always things, people have different skill sets. People have different interests. If you find out a guy likes scotch and you see an article about a rare scotch, don't do it twice a day. That's annoying. But once a month or once every two months, keep it fresh. I love basketball, right? The Volume Shooters podcast, another podcast. That's a great connector, right? If I meet a guy at an event from California and he's a big Lakers fan, if there's something going on with the Lakers, I'll send it to him. It's a way to bring a human aspect to your relationship. And I may never mention business unless the opportunity presents itself. Hopefully by that point, we've already been friends for six months. You know me, you like me, you trust me. I'm not a con artist. I'm not here to deceive you. Then let the cream rise to the top. Let the person offering the best service, offering the best price, Whatever that differentiator is that brings you business, let that speak for itself. But we all know that's not enough. If you just go bare and try to get business by being the best service, the best price, it's very hard to get in the door. So networking is cracking open the door so that your business can speak for itself. A quick break from this week's episode to tell you about Infinity Land Services. If you pick up a Mishpacha magazine, you'll see their ad practically every week. You pick up your local paper, you'll see an ad for Infinity Land Services. And every time you listen to Kosher Money, you'll hear an ad from Infinity Land Services. Title without the story, right? If you have a real estate transaction, you need title insurance. Google it. It's actually pretty interesting. And Infinity Land Services, they have a team led by Mark Hershkowitz, and they do a fantastic job. I love their new campaign. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, click over to our YouTube channel. You can actually see this episode in live and living color, but you can also see a commercial detailing how you get title insurance without the drama, without the story. So look them up, ilstitle.com. Click around their new website. Tell them your friends at Kosher Money sent you. We love them. We love you. And now back to this week's episode with Mitchell Eisenberger. I'm going to coin what you described as if you see something share something right. right you know this this idea of sharing it's free you can do it 
but not too much, like you said. I wonder if this idea of walking over to someone, hey, I do such and such service, do you want to buy it? This idea comes from the always be closing, right? You always hear that. Always be closing, always be closing, always be closing. If I'm building a relationship with you, I'm not closing, right? So this hustle mentality of deals, 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 this quarter, this year, we, we, we got to get you know, I don't have six months to develop a relationship. We need, we, we need to go quick and we, and we need to close the deal. Like, and maybe if you do enough of that, you know, you, you, you work like crazy and, and, you know, you meet 2,000 people instead of 20 people, maybe some of them will actually close because you got them at the right time. But building that longer relationship is interesting to Look, me. Look, in an ideal world, if you're selling something, you should be able to add value to him before he gives you business. If you've made yourself well-rounded enough, mm -hmm. let's say you sell hardware, right? But you also do other things. You're a real estate investor. Mm -hmm. You're involved in your local yeshiva. Mm -hmm. You're involved in chesed in your community, right? You have the ability to approach a person from three other angles before you approach him about a, a, a contract for your hardware business. You should do that. Take six months and, and see what develops. See if he's not raising money for a cause that's dear to him and you can contribute, right? There's nothing dirty about that. There's nothing to feel weird about, right? This is what it means to build a relationship. Let me ask you a question because some people might feel differently. Let's say I meet you at a networking event and you have business that I want. Mm -hmm. And then I see that you're being honored at your local yeshiva dinner. I didn't know you before this event, so I was clearly not going to contribute. Let's say I met you at this event. We kind of hit it off. We liked each other. I've seen a few of your WhatsApp statuses. Mm -hmm. I know who you are, and I see you're being honored. Now, if you're going to come in and give $5,000, it's going to look super weird, right? Mm -hmm. But how do you think it would come off if I, if I put in a small ad and I gave $200 mm -hmm. or $100? Wouldn't you feel good about that? Would you think it was a quid pro quo? Would you think it was... I, I mean, there's obviously room for differences of opinion here. Everyone's raising money on WhatsApp statuses. Everyone's got a Bone Olam or a, or a, or a charity.com link or a matching campaign. Why are they putting it on their WhatsApp status? My WhatsApp status gets 250 views. I don't know, something like that, right? I don't actually look at who the 250 people are. Suffice it to say, there are a lot of people that I never speak to, but I once had a connection with, right? I know I'm putting it out to people that I don't have a relationship with. When I put out that link, doesn't that indicate that I'm open for you to give money to my cause? It doesn't obligate you then to give me business because I gave money to your cause, but it does create a little bit of goodwill. Mm -hmm. Did anybody do anything that's not ethical or, you know, feels funny to you? I don't think so. We need to take the awkwardness out of that. We're just two people conducting a basic relationship, right? Our society believes for some reason in merch, right? Like they'll quicker spend thousands of dollars on a custom umbrella and give it to you as if now you'll give me business, right? right. But like giving a donation is probably much more impactful and it probably costs a lot less. Yeah, than give the a merch. donation with your company logo. Right, on it. right, right. Right? Isn't that better than sending a two thousand dollar shalchmanis to somebody? Right, right, right? right. I think it is. Like 
let's ban corporate gifting and just every time somebody puts a campaign up, let's just give, then we're all doing better. We're all giving charity instead of support. Hey, listen, if there, if there are any promotional gift companies, yeah. why well, I really apologize. I'm not trying to kill the vibe Etsy's on that. Etsy's our but... newest sponsor. Not <laughs> but, anymore. But, but seriously though, you know, we're doing good and we're helping each other and we're creating goodwill. And I, I think that's nice. How do you stay organized when you're networking, right? And we were talking to Laser Cornwasser, and he, he mentioned networking a little bit also, and that you have to actively do this. This is not something that's going to fall in your lap. Yeah, sometimes relationships, you bump into somebody, a mutual connection. By the way, Laser Cornwasser, I watched it, yeah. and I felt a very tr you know great connection to what he was saying. And I believe he also said, the C he didn't say it that way, but if you see something, share something. He said he does that. He goes through his contacts and... If, if something comes up, then he, he reaches out to them with it. Right, right, like right, right. He was, he and I are like espousing similar narratives. But it's active, right? Yes. It's not, it's not a Correct. passive form of networking. It's not happenstance. It's going out of your way. You need yeah. to wake up and it has to be on your checklist. It's an active thing, absolutely. Right. So what are you doing to activate that, right? How do you, how do, are you strategic about it? Are you saying, hey, I just know I need to do five forms of networking this week. Do you have a spreadsheet? What are you doing to actively network if someone's listening and says hey i want to do this how can i how 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 should i go about this step a there's so. two different types if your antenna's up then you're always networking see something share something that's passive if i see something and it reminds me of ellie langer then i reach out to ellie langer which i do right which i think is nice i actually enjoy that i'm not doing this to get anything i enjoy interacting with people you're going to say well some people are introverted and they're not well Go outside your comfort zone, right? No one will argue that it's not a good feeling to feel connected to people. Mm -hmm. I think you can read countless studies. Mental health is better when you're engaging with people, right? People live longer when they have close relationships. No one is arguing it's not a good thing to have close relationships. And this is a way to have, in the social media age, sharing things. You know, I used to have to call my grandmother, right? Like, I'd have to sit down at night and my, my mother would say, when's the last time you spoke to your grandmother? And I have to call my grandmother, right? I could just WhatsApp her now, you know, like uh, text her, you know? Lazy. It's lazier. It is. And I, I addressed that earlier saying it was lazier, but at the same time, there is a way that we're more in touch. Maybe I used to call her once a month and now on a daily basis, there's a reason that I'm, that I'm reaching out and perpetuating this. So to answer your question, that's a passive networking when i see something and it reminds me of you i text you active is more when you have a goal when you have a project that you're working on like this guy that i mentioned earlier that came into a community and his goal was to raise money and to be a part of a community that's active like i told you set a spreadsheet what are the names of the people when did you meet them right when do you think you would meet them next when would you reach out to them next that's me, you know, from, again, the last podcast, I'm a very organized, keep spreadsheets, take notes, note your accomplishments, constantly chronicle where you are in the process and keep moving on. I want to share a story I was telling you earlier. And again, I'm going to take out the names of the places. I think we're all familiar with Chabad and the work that they do for Jewish travelers and for people that are on business in interesting places, but are looking for kosher food or a minion. I was early in my career working for Lord and Taylor, um, and I was in charge of new store openings. So I was the head of the task force that joined all the different areas of the company. 
And when we opened a new store, HR, finance, uh, legal, all these groups have to team up to get this done over the finish line, construction, etc. So they needed a team leader. And that's like my strong suit with the spreadsheet, keeping everything and networking and keeping people connected to one another. So they sent me to a place in the United States that was very far out, not near where I was, and I couldn't come home. And I was there every week, and I would come home on the weekends. One of those weeks was Purim, so I needed a place to go to hear Megillah and to participate in the Purim activities, Asuda, whatever it was. I noticed the name of the local Chabad guy was the name of somebody that I knew from law school. He was in my law school class. So I reached out to him and I said, are you related? And that's networking. I saw something and I said something. I didn't have to. I saw that he had the same last name and I knew that he was part of Chabad. And I said, okay, let me find out if he's related. Now, your name is Langer. If I see another Langer, I might. I mean, this was a little more niche because I knew they were both. Anyway, he said, yeah, he's my cousin. Like, great. So I went to all the festivities and he was extremely warm and he opened his house to me and we had, and, and it was a way for me to feel normal and connected while I was away, which was difficult for me. I wasn't with my family. Two weeks later, I called him up and I said, by the way, just catching up. I, I spent time with your cousin. It was really amazing. He said, did you, uh, do you notice anything about the thing? I said, yeah, it was great. It was very easy. Were there a lot of people there? I said, no. Nah. Not so many, kind of out of town, you know. I think some people don't know about the Chabad movement, that they go to communities and they really are responsible for the bulk of their fundraising by themselves. Mm -hmm. They can come to the central organization, but the brunt of the money they get is supposed to be lo raised locally from their community. So the, the head of the Chabad there, the rabbi, he was not what I would consider a very social guy. He was more... Very warm, very genuine, but not the type of guy that necessarily is going to bond with a lot of people. And he asked me, he's like, did you notice anything about the campus? And I, I said, I noticed that he had a house and then there was a second house and a third house. He seemed to be utilizing a lot of real estate. He says, do you know how that came to be? Did you speak to him about it? I said, no, I didn't. So he told me the following story. He said when he came to the community. So it was a massive Chabad campus. Big camp. Like wow. owned a full block in wow. a city that wasn't cheap. So right. clearly it cost a nice amount of money. So he said when he came for the first 10 years, he had minimal money. He raised minimal money. And his whole goal was genuine. He was doing outreach in the community. He was approaching Jewish people. He was helping them wrap tefillin. And he was, you know speaking at funerals, doing the types of services that a Jewish person would do, but not really getting too personal with the people. So he had arranged for six to 10 of them to come with him different times during the week, you know, learning with this guy for 10 minutes, learning with this guy for five minutes, but he never asked them for money. He did appeals at shul, but he never approached anyone directly. So he was networking without knowing it in, in the long game. He was building out relationships. And then there was a time where he was strapped financially. And he was like, I don't know how I'm going to continue to do this. So he called up one of the guys that he, he learned with. And he said, I need to ask you for some money because I just don't know how we're going to keep the Chabad house together. And the guy said, I can only give you a little bit. Let's call the guy Mark. You know Mark? And he says, yeah. He goes, call him. He goes, why? Mark is a man of means. He goes, just call him and ask him. So he calls up this guy, Mark. He's been learning with this guy for 10 years. <laughs> you know, and he never had a personal conversation with him. It was just whatever Mark wanted to talk about or whatever the Tanya said or whatever he was, 
you know, learning with him, that that's all they ever spoke about. He didn't really know personally. He didn't know what he did for a living. He didn't, and he said to him, I think I'm going to need a little bit of money. Can you help us with a donation? And by the way, the story I'm telling, I think, occurs in countless Chabad houses in the United States and around the world, because mm -hmm. I've been around and I've heard a similar story. Mm -hmm. And he says to him, Mark says to the rabbi, do you know who, like who I am? Do you know my family, where we come from, what we do? And the rabbi's like, no, I just know your last name. You know, I don't know anything about him. And he was so blown away. Basically, he was the heir. If I, I don't want to say it because I don't want to violate confidentiality. He was the heir to an extremely large corporate company in the United States, a brand. Everyone knows the brand. It was a very, very lucrative sale that they had made a few years earlier. Very wealthy family. And he essentially went on to like basically buy him the entire block. Where the real estate, he said, if you ever need money in the future, come to me. That would be the peak story of what I'm preaching here about slow networking. Now, he didn't do it on purpose, which means he's on a higher level than any of us. Mm. Everything he was doing was genuine. And on what planet would that guy, Mark, not want to help him when he needed the help? On my own, I've had similar stories of situations I've been in where I just thought the people that I was dealing with were extremely genuine. And when the time came that they needed help, I wanted to help them. That's networking to me, you know? A quick less than two minute break from this week's episode to talk to Shmuel Shywitz of approved funding, networking. A lot of your business is networking. What tips do you have for the audience? So I'll spare you the uh, typical quotes and cliches on networking. And I'm very excited and eager to listen to this episode because I would say that as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, one of the pillars of success in my career has been networking. So it's very important for anybody to network properly and have the proper expectations in terms of what they want to accomplish when they network. So for me, I look at networking both from a client perspective and a professional perspective. So within professionals, a lot of my business comes from word of mouth and uh, referral business. And likewise, I'm introducing my clients to attorneys, CPAs, financial planners, where we've literally helped them help others with their financial situation. And a lot of times it could just be somebody who reaches out to me or we who reach out to our clients and talk about the fact that we can't do anything for their mortgage. But when we review annually their personal financial situation, change in employment, change in children, family, uh, whatever it may be we often come up with a suggestion on who we can connect them to that will help their overall financial situation. And then separately, when a client calls us up, my answer to them is always going to be, look, I will do everything that I can to help you with your circumstances. But if I can't do anything for you, I will get you in touch with somebody who might be able to provide you with better service than I can. Right. So true. I mean, I've pushed so many people your way and you guided them to a professional that can help. If you have a money question, if you are unsure who to reach out to, visit approvedfunding.com slash koshermoney. Click on the contact tab. Shmuel will guide you to where you need to go. And don't be shy to ask a question. He has the answer. Okay, and now back to this week's episode. I have a story on how my career got started. And I'll ask a question and then share the story and we'll get your input on it. But Someone who's just starting out, they're 21, 22. What do I have to offer, right? I'm not a Chabad rabbi. I can't sit and learn with you. I can't develop the relationship. Yeah, maybe I could send an article here and there to you, right? What can I do to network, right? 
And I don't think it has to be something that someone is good at right now. They can develop that trait or figure out what someone needs and, and work through that to, to offer it to the person. Case in point, I was newly married. I just joined Twitter, and I noticed that there was a sports reporter putting out these polls on Twitter. And back then, there was no poll feature. You had to count up the results. And I noticed he was doing these polls, and he was getting hundreds and hundreds of votes, sometimes over a 1,000. And I was thinking, okay, he must be counting. So then he put out a poll. I stopped what I was doing, counted it up, and I sent it to him. He might have been counting it also. And he's like, oh, wow, thanks so much. And he released the results. He did it again. And I did it again. I counted the results, and I sent it to him. And then a week later, he goes, hey, about to put out a poll. You ready? <laughs> so That's amazing. He's developing a relationship, right? Or I'm developing a relationship with him. One and I would drop whatever I was doing. It's an unbelievable to, example of what we're discussing. I, was, I would drop whatever I was doing. One time we were driving upstate. It was like Friday afternoon, early afternoon. He calls me. He's like, hey, I'm doing a big poll. Are you ready? I turned to my wife. Like we're on like the Route 17. I said, a poll. She's like, yeah, we could pull over. Pulled over for like 15, 20 minutes, sitting on some random gas station parking lot. Tallied up. I didn't tell him. I said, I just made myself available. When, Incredible. You know, counted it up, did it. At some point, my wife turns to me. She's like, you're really investing a lot of time into this relationship. I said, yes, I am. It's, you know, blocks of time here and there. I'm developing a connection. I don't know where this is going to go, but it could go somewhere, and I'm willing to take that chance. So much so, his wife once got on the phone. She said, Ellie, you're working for my husband for free. There's no guarantee here. <laughs> you're wasting your time. So... He ended up getting his own show on the NBC Sports Network, and he said, I want you to come in and do the social media for my show. It transitioned into a full-time gig at CNBC for a few years, but when I got the gig, he says, come here. We were standing in like one of the locker rooms at CNBC, and he gives me the phone. He's like, speak to my wife. Tell, tell her you got the job. I said, yeah, it was worth it. That is so. amazing. That is like, honestly, I knew this story, but not this story. In other words, I knew about your time at CNBC and the relationship that you built through Twitter, but I never knew the details. I didn't yeah. know the nuance of that story. And that is such an example of what we're discussing about exactly what you're saying. What if I don't have anything to offer? Anybody can count a Twitter right, poll. Right, exactly. There's always something you right. can do for somebody. People like to be thought of. People like when you show initiative. Everyone in this world watching this, even if they're not watching this, has something to offer somebody. Everybody. There is nobody who can't bring value to a conversation. So you ask, what should I do? I don't know. I'll let you know when I see it. You see can something, say something. In other words, the link, the WhatsApp statuses today that some people put up, and I'm sorry that we're discussing WhatsApp statuses so much, but it's like, it's an emerging kind of thing. But people will say, does anyone know of a good mechanic mm. in the five towns? Now you're like connected to that person. You'd be like, yes, I do. How many responses do they get to that? Maybe not that many. You can't look up or know or network and find the response to tell them which mechanic to use. Does anybody know somebody at Google? I happen to know somebody at Google. 
I reach out to them. I say, would you mind helping somebody else? You, you can always help somebody with something. In your case, you went the extra mile and you hustled and you found something to help him with. That's the next level. And that's fantastic. But even if you're not that aggressive, you could still find something. But that, that's an incredible story. I love that story. Shout out to me. So, so <laughs> we do have listeners that are in their late teens, early 20s, right? And you spoke about patience before, right? What we're discussing here is not a one-day fix. You're not going to start on Sunday and you're going to have a new job on Tuesday because of a network you developed over the last 48 hours. That's not going to happen. Right. You have to plant seeds. They have to grow. You have to water it. It takes nurturing. Sometimes a branch will die. You got to cut it. You got to continue to cultivate that networking plant. Yep. What's your message when you think of someone who approaches you for advice when they're 20? Am I playing a, a two-year game here? Am I playing a five-year game? Things take time. How do you look at all that? I'm 37. Oh, right? He said his age. Oh, oh, no. Earlier plot. Yeah. I started working later because I went to law school, but I started law school at 21. Okay. So that I would consider that the beginning of my career because there was major networking in law school. So I lived in Washington, D.C. So I met a whole new community of people in Washington, D.C. 21 to 30, it's 16 years. Do you know how long 16 years worth of networking is? Mm -hmm. Like every day, every week, yeah, every you month. Failed, you failed many semesters, so sure. you, you were networking <laughs> a whole lot more. 16 years of meeting people, they're going to pop up at different times. If you're in one business and you transition to a different business, you might lose some of those contacts, but those people might also move to different businesses. So it's not so much like, if I plant the seeds at 21, they're going to grow at 26. Don't worry when they're going to be harvested. Keep planting them. Some will be harvested within a year. You could reach out to somebody and they'll say, I'll reach back out to you when the opportunity arises. That could mean 20 years. It could mean never. It could also mean three months. I've been in situations where a guy says, in business, it's like, I know what your service is. I'm interested in it. I don't have any opportunity to bring you in right now. But when the time comes, I'll reach out. When you're looking for a job, you apply, you send your resume. The guy says, I don't have any spots right now, but if something opens up, I'll keep you in mind. You could look at that one. When, when I was younger, that frustrated me a lot because I thought the interview went great. I thought the guy should have hired me. I didn't really trust him. It happens every once in a while that a month later, something opens up and the guy calls you and he goes, you know what? This thing just opened up. I was thinking about our interview. I think you're perfect for this role. So you never know when the seeds you plant will be harvested, but I can promise you this. The more you plant, the more there will ultimately be to harvest. So start at 20, start at 10, start at 15. And you'll see that as you're 10 years, 15 years, 17 years, 20 years into your career, you're going to be able to pick on a lot of different people to help you advance whatever it is you're trying to advance. We'll be right back to this week's episode, but first, a message from Kolel Chabad. The key to survival for many families, especially those without a father, is the ability of the mother to hold down a job. And that's significant, both for economic reasons and as a matter of personal dignity and pride. But without proper daycare for infants and the preschoolers, employment for struggling moms would be impossible. And the most important factor in such daycare 
is peace of mind. Mothers feeling secure that their children are properly being taken care of and the boundless love nutritional hot nutritional or nutritionist hot meals. And Kol Chabad has over a dozen daycare centers working with the moms and they accept children. They don't look at background affiliation, degree of religious observance. The sole criteria is need. So when these moms need a place to turn for free daycare center, they turn to Kol Chabad. And where does Kol Chabad turn? They turn to us. They turn to people like you who can supply them with much needed dollars, shekels that go a long way in giving that peace of mind to these moms who need to hold down a job. And Kol Chabad provides those meals, the shelter, the care, the teachers for those infants, for those preschoolers, for those toddlers, and you get the drill. You understand it. We've done this over and over and over, and we're going to try to hit home on different things, so many different things that Kol Chabad does. So if you can give from the bottom of your heart, please click the link in the show notes, kolchabad.org slash koshermoney. Every dollar goes a long way, and they need it badly. So thank you so much. Thank you to all those that have given, those who have given recurring donations. We cannot thank you enough. We see you. We thank you. And now back to this week's episode. So people always shout at me that I don't mention my marketing agency, which name is Harvesting Media, but- You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> free ad. Um, but yeah, like I don't do I do not do sales very well, right? I, it's, I always tell people that when I'm sitting in a sales meeting, like this is not my forte. I like creative. I like doing. I'm passionate about that. So they're like, so hire someone in sales. Maybe yes, maybe no. But like sales, a lot of that is networking, right? And building a relationship. You have a CRM, a customer relationship management tool that, you know, here's a warm lead, here's a hot lead, right? Like if a business owner is listening, right? And they're naturally not good, me, at sales, am I going about it wrong? Should I be like thinking of it more of as like a, a re- networking relationship, right? Because always be closing. I'm not doing this for the sake of knowing how your children are, but if we develop a relationship, maybe I'll have like an intrinsic appreciation for your family and 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 an understanding and there's there's something real there. But other than that. So how about this? Yeah. You do marketing. Yeah. Say so you went to a networking event. Yeah. So you met somebody trying to conduct a relationship with them. They don't like sports. They don't like whiskey. You don't, you know, to see something, say something isn't working, mm-hmm. right? How many people do you know that turn down free benefits? Not many. Let's say you said to the guy, I promise you, you're just going to have to take my word for it. I'm not trying to poach the business from your current provider, whatever service you're in. Let me give you a free evaluation of your lead generation, your ROI. Let me put together a presentation for you and give it to you so that if you're ever in a situation where somebody else is looking for a marketing agency or a situation where the current guy, maybe there's a special project that's not in his wheelhouse. Let me produce something for you so that you could get to know me a little. And then if the opportunity arises, keep me in mind. Mm. Everybody can do that. And no one says no to that. No one, right? Like you and I were involved in a conversation recently with your business Mm -hmm. where you know, maybe there were certain people that were trying to get free benefits, but mm-hmm. giving free benefits, I think, is warmly received. Saying, let me just put together a plan for you. Let me put, let me put together a sample marketing plan for you. Mm-hmm. You know, a free consultation, if you will. But you leave them with a work product. You email them a PDF and it stays in their inbox. And if they're anything like me, 
or people with similar personalities, when they think they might have whatever, they'll search that inbox mm -hmm. and they'll find that piece of paper. What's happened to them, mm -hmm. right? Give it to them on as many mediums as possible so that if they're ever in a situation where they think they might need you, they have it handy and they'll remember you and they'll look at it and they'll forward it to their partner or to their employee. I love that. I love that. So when I meet people, even if I, it's let's say a mutual connection, like, oh, here's my friend Dovi. Hey, Dovi. I go, hey, I have fire WhatsApp statuses. <laughs> you, you need to, you need to take my, and we exchange numbers. And then like, I'll look back in a year and a half, I'll look at our conversation and we spoke once a month based off of them replying to statuses. Sometimes I'll do a status. Hey, I currently have an opening for a client I can take on. And like people who I met once will reply to it because I think them seeing my content creates some sort of relationship without me realizing. Yeah. So for me to amass more views is sure. relatively low cost. So like I there I'm playing the long game without having to like invest super amounts of time to to foster that when which I think is interesting. You put something out into the social media world, yeah. you never know who's lurking. They call them lurkers, right? right? Like people that are consuming content but never engage or give you feedback they kind of get to know you right right <laughs> it's over a long period of time that they're they're consuming all of your content right you know that that's a an interesting right. thing i i have a podcast as i mentioned and you know we send it out and we put it on social media and every once in a while i get you know something hits a chord with somebody it's about basketball so maybe something happened with their team and i'll get a note i just got a note this week from somebody um, and I was in law school with them and they were like, I never missed an episode. I haven't spoken to them since 2013. Oh, wow. So it's, I didn't yeah. know I put him on a list and he's like listening to it. And it's been at least 10 years since I've spoken to him. So he, he knows a little bit about me. He knows that I, you know, had a kid cause I mentioned it on an episode, you know, like, yeah, that's a great point. I, I do think a lot of people are not putting out content the way they need to. It doesn't have, if you have a WhatsApp status and you get 250 views. Why can't you hop on there and just produce a 30 second video, nothing fancy with your camera and just share something that happened to you, share something that you saw. I find that people don't do enough sharing. Hey, I got something really cool on Amazon. That's very helpful to me. People only share it if you say, Hey, what's new this week? Did you buy any? Like it has to be prodded out of I'll that. tell you the easiest thing to do for people that are watching that are saying, no, none of this is up my alley. All right. right. The easiest thing to do, hopefully. If people are fortunate enough, they have some time, they, have some, they can travel, right? It could be just to Florida. It could be take a nice picture of the ocean, put it on your WhatsApp status. Nobody minds a palate cleanser. Mm -hmm. Lord knows there's enough toxicity online. Nobody minds seeing some palm trees in the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. You go to Israel, maybe if you're so fortunate, you post a picture of the hotel. You don't feel uh, appropriate to post a picture of yourself or your family. That's a way that people humanize you. Like, oh, I met that guy one time. He's in Israel. Maybe you're in Israel. Maybe you'll respond and be like, that's so cool. I'm here also. You're not like feeling comfortable enough to be like, let's have coffee. But you might be like, cool, we're in the same place. Kinship, right. bond is created. Or you post a picture that you're in Los Angeles. And this guy that you met six months ago just so happens to be from Los Angeles. You didn't even know. He's like, cool. I used to live there. Right, right, right. right. I see that a lot. Some people are afraid to share because then, oh, the guy's bragging, he's traveling, but it doesn't, you can even do that on a local level, right? Correct. You know, if, if you go to your favorite pizza store, right. And you say this slice changed my life. Right. 
and a guy moved out 10 years ago and he hasn't had decent pizza since he left Brooklyn. He's like, pizza time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Right? Shout out to David Lichtman, who who lives in Cleveland. Whenever I share something in the five towns, he's like, oh, you just brought up my childhood. (laughs) Happens all the time. So that's really cool. So what else on networking? What didn't we cover that you think? I mean, we have lists of stuff here. Yeah. Um, Would love to hit on anything that we may have missed. Um, Again, if people do want to email you, even if you don't have a question, it would be a really boss move to email you and say, hey, I don't need anything from you right now. I don't have anything for you. But Mitchell, I just want you to have my contact. That would be kind of a cool move. What was your email address um, for those? It's my last name, Eisenberger, dot my first name, Mitchell, with two L's, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, at gmail.com. Okay, we'll put it in the show notes. And uh, please hit Mitchell up. And also watch his first um, episode on negotiations, which has been very well received, as you heard. So what didn't we cover? Give it to us. I think on networking, it's it's really just, you know, rehashing the same points that we've been talking about. I don't think there's enough, there's anything we didn't cover. I just can't stress enough. It starts with one toe. Just dip, dip a toe into the water. Like you said, post a picture. Try to engage. Try to have people sort of humanize you. Know that you're a person, know that you do X, Y, and Z, and linger around and plant enough seeds. And I guarantee you, it will, you'll reap the benefits later in life. Put yourself out there. Do you want to hear from people their success stories? Because sometimes I'm walking the street and they said, Hey, I bought more life insurance because you. I'm like, Who are you? Yeah. You know, and, and it feels, I, I feel a lot of um, so satisfaction. I, I had that from the first episode, and it was the most amazing feeling in the world where people said, we had both sides of it. We had many people that went in and asked for raises uh-huh. and received them. And they said without it, they never had the courage to ask and chronicle their value and know their worth. And then we had employers. I don't know if you remember this. I think mm. it came through you. Yeah, what was that, that message then said, I watched this episode and it occurred to me that I really value these people and I'm probably not mm. doing enough to keep them. And they shouldn't have to come to me to ask for a bump and Mm. he gave raises to one person in particular and he said like she was blown away and he was so happy he did it because you know maybe somebody would have approached her and offered her more money or whatever the case was so uh, yeah very gratifying so definitely share success stories 100 percent. unrelated to that if you were an employer would you set realistic expectations of when that raise would happen so that there isn't this ambiguity of when it's going to happen? I mean, the the typical thing is, you know, an annual review right, and then right, it's going right. to be, but that's very corporate. Right. I think people outside corporate America don't really do that. But they but they maybe should because it leads to friction, un, un, untold friction. Potentially. Very cool. There was a fantastic story with Ramosha Weinberger that Living Lachayim shared recently and how his father, he called his father when he was in school and his father shut his business that day and came to spend time with him or spend time with him on the phone. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, dad, that you had to shut your, your store, you know, when you were talking to me for an hour. He goes, that's what I'm doing. I'm, this is all for you. I'm working so I can provide for my family and be there. We're talking here about networking and business, and it's easy to get lost in this rat race that you called it before. Do you think about that? What are your thoughts as it relates to remembering what's important? So I think it segues nicely from networking because I think we're mentioning a lot that networking is really just the science of relationships, building relationships, building close relationships. I think I said before, like early in this podcast, that nobody on their deathbed regrets the relationships they built, whether they are harvested as 
the seeds that you plant, whether they're harvested as business leads or ways to make money, you won't regret having made them. You won't regret having texted that guy or, you know, unless he wrongs you in some terrible way, but we're not, we're not, we're not looking at that side of it. Relationships to me are, are the fulfillment of life. Clearly there are people that feel very fulfilled by religious pursuits, which obviously we all feel very strongly about our religion, but there are also people that feel fulfilled by doing kindness and giving charity, but relationships, young, old, rich, poor, regardless of race, relationships are something that typically makes people feel fulfilled. I find that when we're talking about this networking episode, a lot of people make their identity and this, again, harms you when you network because people can pick it up. People can smell it. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Manus Friedman said on this, uh, on this podcast that the Lubavitch Rebbe, somebody came to him and said, I'm going to become a typist. Can I have a bracha? And he said, I'll give you a bracha to succeed at typing, but you should never want to become a typist. No one should become a lawyer or become a doctor or become a finance professional. That is problematic on so many levels, but in our community, I feel there's a plague of people that on their deathbed, they're making another business deal. They're taking another conference call because their identities are tied to their professional life. I read a book recently. It was referred to me by a business contact who became a good friend in the theme of networking. I actually knew him many years ago. We weren't friends. Now we're very good friends. And it's based on, on the fact that we reconnected over business. He recommended a book by a guy named Bill Perkins. It's called Die With Zero. In it, he talks about how the effort that you spend, your life effort is converted into money. And the money is supposed to be converted back into life enhancements. So people that make a million dollars or $5 million or $10 million at some point make more money than they can use to enhance their lives. And that time that they spent making that money is then wasted. So his concept is, if you want to give charity, why would you wait till you die? Give it now. If you want to give money to your children, why wait till you die? Do it now. Use your life effort to make money and then use that money to enhance your life. And it should be perfectly in balance. It should be like a symbiotic kind of thing. The problem is when all you feel a connection to is being a librarian, that's all you want to wake up and do. You lose sight of the fact that building relationships and working on those relationships and feeling fulfilled by those relationships, that's not a means to make money. That is the end. It's not a means to an end. That is the end. The making money is the secondary part. The relationship is the main part. How can he help you? How can you help him? This is a tool to be used so that when you get to the end of your life, You don't have regrets that nobody, they always say, nobody says, I should have spent more time at the office. Mm. Oh, I wish I had done another three deals, right? Nobody says that at the end of their life. Everyone knows that nobody says that. So networking, relationships, let's remember the relationships you're building. That in and of itself is tremendous value, probably more value than the money it can bring you. Not probably, definitely. And, and whenever I say these concepts, I feel, you know, I'm not trying to make light of the fact that people need to make a living. People, this isn't a joy ride. People need, I said last time, you know, it's not easy. Don't get down. Keep at it. Get back on the horse. All of this is heaven sent. We know 
very well that the success rate financially of the guy that graduated in the top of his class at Harvard very often is beneath some guy that dropped out of high school. It's not who's smarter. It's not who has better ideas. Who's not, it's not who looks better. It's whoever God decides to bestow his bounty onto. So therefore, let's not get down. Let's, let's understand that we're all here for a reason. Let's try our best. Let's put it out there. But let's also remember not to make chasing money who we are. Mm-hmm. Remember to invest more time in the things that actually matter, like your relationships. A byproduct will be that you'll make money because your friends will want to help you and your connections will want to help you. But also enjoy the ride of networking. Enjoy making relationships. Enjoy meeting new people. Enjoy helping new people, meeting new communities, new business areas, and use that as a means to enhance your life and to make your life, you know, more fulfilling. Awesome. Mitchell Eisenberger, you know where to reach him. Network away and make your relationships count. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode with Mitchell Eisenberger. He is accessible. Yes, you can hit him up. Check out his contact in the show notes. If you have any questions about getting a raise, you want to network, network with the networking king, Mitchell Eisenberger. Thank you to our friends at Mishpacha. If you want more bonus content on our episodes, visit mishpacha.com or pick up a fresh copy produced weekly of the Mishpacha magazine. Thank you to our friends at Living Smarter Jewish. Thousands of families have now reached out. They've gotten access to financial advisors, resources, curriculums, you name it. A new website's coming out from livingsmarterjewish.org, a project of the OU. We love the team there. Thank you to Zevi. Thank you to Simon. They are doing really, really tremendous work, and they are the perfect partner to be doing what we're doing at Kosher Money. Thank you to our sponsors, Infinity Land Services, Kolel Chabad, and Shmuel Shaiwitz of Approved Funding. Their links are in the show notes, so look them up if you are in need of services or if you just want to talk. They make great conversation. Thank you to our listeners. You are listening to Kosher Money on the Living L'Chaim Network. My brother has many different podcasts across YouTube, across the leading podcast platforms. Really cool stuff. Visit livinglechaim.com. He has some bonus stuff featured on the site as it relates to money, mental health, inspiration. He doesn't have his personal phone number on there, but we're working on it. If you want to reach out to him, you can... Check him out. He actually has events. He does events, right? We've had the Kosher Money event, but he also has Inspiration for the Nation events where he brings on people. He does live live shows. Um, so that's really cool. And he's always producing new things. So if you have an idea, if you have a guest idea for him, for me, for That's an Issue, um, head over to the website. A lot of our guests have come as a result of you. Don't submit yourself. We don't want to see you submitting yourself. You need a PR agent. Okay, that's it. If they want to get in touch with Mitchell, I already said that. His link is in the show notes. That's my brother over my left shoulder, not really producing this outro the way he needs to, but we are making it through. This episode is over. We are producing more and more episodes. So if you have an idea, please let us know. Uh, we're working on an episode on making Aliyah, what that that looks like, all the questions related to it. If you move from overseas to Israel, we're doing an episode on affluence. 
and that is super interesting with Rabbi Joey Haber. Um, we're going to have a rabbi on. We're going to talk about um, believing in Hashem and, and, and go through Shar HaBetachon, which I'm personally very excited about that particular episode. And um, this outro is way longer than it needs to be, but it's free. Producing content is free, guys. Okay, this episode's over. Thank you to our editors. Thank you to you, our listeners, and thank you to God for making this all possible. Until next week, keep your money kosher. I'm Ellie Langer. Bye-bye! Living L'chaim.